joining us for the first time. It, it feels like it's been a minute since we were in our series in John, but that's not true because we were in it last week. It's, it's just that it's, it's true for me that I've not been sharing or speaking or teaching from John for a, week, for a, for a few weeks. And, um, so if, you're, if you feel a little bit like me or you are actually visiting for the first time, welcome. We're in a series in the book of John. And we've called the series Superman HD, Superman speaking about the Lord Jesus because he's super human, you know what I mean? And um, HD stands for human and divine, kind of identifying the two aspects of his personhood. And we are going to be in John chapter 17, and we're going to deal with the whole chapter by God's grace. John chapter 17, verse 1 to 26. So you might want to turn there. Well, I'd ask you to turn there. It'd be really helpful if you turn there with me because I'm constantly going to be pointing us to the text. And if you don't have it to look at, you might get a little bit lost because I really am going to try and keep it moving. Our title is a bit, I wouldn't say controversial, but um, maybe it's a bit overloaded. We'll see. Um, trying to squeeze a lot in. It's hard sometimes to identify the whole body of text with one statement that kind of helps you to get it all, Um, although we do endeavor to do that. Our title for the message is The Lord's Prayer. And then in brackets, I've got the ultimate Superman versus the original sinful man. And we're talking about the ultimate mission, Jesus being on the ultimate mission. <clears throat> now, just before we jump in, hopefully that will make sense in a, in a minute. I, I, I mentioned this very carefully. Uh, I'd like to just use the issue of a bucket list as my introduction, but I say I'm going to be careful only because personally I know um, a, a, not just one, but a few people who are struggling with the reality of death. And <clears throat> it was just last week, we were at Pastor E's stepmom's funeral. And as much as we hate to talk about this stuff, you know what I mean? Um, we can't get away from it, can we? You know what I mean? This issue of death. And, <clears throat> and so... I suppose me making reference to a bucket list ought not to be foreign to us, but at the same time, as I mentioned, I'm I'm trying to be careful and trying to be sensitive. But I suppose the question I'd like to ask is, and you know what a bucket list is, right? It's, it's, It's the things that you'd like to do if you knew that you only had a limited time to live, right? If you were going to create a bucket list, what would be some of the things that you would ask for? What would be some of the things that you would hope for? What would be the things that would be on your heart if you knew that your time had come? Now, I'm going to ask you to think about that um, and just bear it in mind as we read. Now, I'm going to have to draw for my glasses because... The text in my Bible is so small. I don't know, it's coming to come like the text in my Bible is shrinking. I don't know what's going on. I put on these glasses, whatever. Um, so John chapter 17, starting at verse 1, and then we'll pray. 
says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, <clears throat> that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you. And these things are speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear Lord God and our Father in heaven, even as the Lord Jesus takes the opportunity here to pray, we thank you for the same privilege that we get to enjoy. 
And we do join with the Lord Jesus in praying that you would be glorified, which is ultimately our chief end. And as that takes place, our joy is fulfilled. Lord, would you complete our joy and glorify yourself again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In terms of the, the context of John chapter 17, very complicated elements to this text, and um, our time is limited, therefore uh, I say up front that I'm not going to be able to tackle every single element that comes out in the text, although I was tempted to, but I was reminded that we would probably be um, here for longer than we need to be. And thank the Lord that as we go through his word, we never ever excavate it to its deepest depths anyway. (laughs) So that's my disclaimer up front. If there's something that you're looking for me to completely and totally expound on that I won't, forgive me. Now in terms of the context of John 17, um, to bring us up to speed, Jesus in the previous chapter, has been preparing his disciples for his impending departure. Remember, we heard that from Richard last week. (laughs) A little while, I soon come. And as a result, Jesus recognizes that sorrow has filled their hearts. He's leaving. I mean, it would be one thing for me to leave, you know what I mean? I say it sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, you're you're, you're together, we're having fellowship, and sometimes you may hear me say, you know what, everybody, I'm going to do what Jesus will never do. I'm leaving, and turn around and leave, right? Now, it's one thing if I leave, but I mean, you know, it's another thing if you're up close and personal to Jesus, and he's about to leave. It's no great surprise they're greatly troubled. And he encourages them by promising them three things, at least when we look back over the last chapter or so. Number one, Jesus promises that he's going to send them another comforter, right? He's going to send them the Holy Spirit as a perfect substitute. The second thing he says to encourage them is that he says that although they're going to weep and they're going to lament, right? It's only going to be temporary, just like a woman giving birth. Lots of pain initially, and I'm saying progressively, but then there comes a point, Tayo, where the pain is gone and there's nothing but exuberance and joy. You know what I mean? Real contrast. So Jesus is encouraging them that there's going to be eventual joy. And we'll touch on that again in this chapter. The third thing Jesus says to encourage them is that he promises to grant them his what? It's right at the end of the last chapter, verse 33 of John chapter 16. Jesus promises to grant them his perfect peace. Look at that verse with me. If you haven't got a Bible that you can flick back to, it's up on the screen. John 16:33. Jesus says, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, old new king, old the, King, the new King James and the old King James say, um, what does it say? Help me. I was just, it says, be of good cheer. Amen. I had it in my mind and then it jumped out. Be of good cheer. Take heart because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Now, the fact that Jesus came from the Father, right, 
and is returning is a theme in chapter 16 that continues in our chapter. You may have heard it a number of times as we were reading it. And I'm saying, so chapter 17, <clears throat> I mean, if you notice, it's, it's a complete monologue. It's, it's, um, it's just Jesus speaking in all 26 verses. And it's also a prayer, right? In contrast to what is termed the Lord's Prayer isn't the Lord's Prayer. You know, everybody calls the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Matthew 6, everybody calls the Lord's, it's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer or could be identified more truly as the Lord's Prayer. Hence our title. Now this is the third of three kind of um, prayers recorded by John in his gospel. First one was in John chapter 11 at the tomb of Lazarus where Jesus prayed. And the second one was in John chapter 12 after the triumphal entry. This um, and obviously this third one we find here in, in John 17. Now this chapter nicely divides up into three sections. And I'm going to try and share it in that fashion. Three sections. The first section is Jesus prays for himself, verse 1 to 5. And then we say, see Jesus praying for his disciples in verse 6 to 19. And then Jesus prays for the church um, in verse 20 to 26. So first of all, Jesus prays for himself, verse 1 to 5. And, 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 uh, now, Jesus is praying to the Father in verse 1, who he will refer to as Holy Father in verse 11, and then Righteous Father, you might have heard it at the end, in verse 25. So verse 1 of John 17 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he did what? He lifted up his eyes to heaven. Now this is the second time in John that Jesus sets an example that we don't often follow. You know what I'm saying? Like how many of us pray with our eyes open? You know what I mean? Most of us, what, and why do we do that? Jesus prays with his eyes open and looking up to heaven. Like myself and Pastor E, we work at London City Mission. There's a brother there who's actually part of the leadership team. His name's Roy Hutchinson. Anytime Roy prays, he prays with his eyes open. You know what I mean? And it's funny because, um, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're supposed to be praying, you start daydreaming. Two twos, you open your eyes, you start looking around, and you remember, oh, wait a minute, we're supposed to be praying, right? Never when he's praying. Because anytime you open your eyes, he's look, he can look right at you and see you. And it's really weird. It's very, I don't know, and it's just something that we're not, about. I feel like I'm not accustomed to. Again, just, why don't we pray with our eyes open? Maybe it's because it's distracting. Anyway, and it's just something we learn from children's ministry. All right, kids, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Don't distract anyone next to you. I don't know. <clears throat> now, it says, when Jesus had spoken his words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven, and, and, and this is what he said. He said, Father, the hour has come. Now, up until John chapter 12, repeatedly it was mentioned that Jesus' hour had not yet come. But since then, um, John chapter 12, and here again, it is evident that the time had now come and was rapidly approaching its climax. And how does Jesus respond to his time of darkness and difficulty? In prayer. We see this again in the, in the garden, right? Although not mentioned by John, um, but in the other gospel accounts. 
And I think that we can be encouraged in the same way that Jesus is. In that, although he's fully aware of the coming challenge of the cross, rather than be downhearted and discouraged, he's upbeat and actually very positive. How are we normally, like naturally, um, tempted to act when confronted with difficulty? I know, I, know, I know as far as I'm concerned, one of the last things I want to do is pray. You know what I'm saying? Until, it gets, until things get so mash up, then I'm like, ah, Lord. Well, Jesus is our great example, isn't he? Um, he does pray, and that with God's sovereignty and glory in mind. Notice the end of verse 1. Jesus says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. See what's on Jesus' heart as he's preparing to, to depart? Very tempting at that point to be self-consumed, is it? Isn't it? Jesus is thinking about others. Um, fundamentally, he's thinking about the glory of the Father. But he's also going to mention, obviously, the disciples in a moment. Now, at the best of times, this is a tricky word to define, this word glorify. Although it is used very, very often in Scripture. I mean, it's not a new word, right? We've all heard it. You know, glorify, glory. Um, glorification. We hear the word all the time and you read it all the time in the Bible, but try and define it. Now, I mean, it's, 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 it's tricky to define like fully and clearly and completely. Probably John Piper's, you know, he'd be the one in here putting his hand up saying, yeah, man, I can define it. Got that. Now, I'm saying it's a little bit of a mysterious word, although often used and not often understood, here, at least in relation to Jesus, it seems like it means to, to clothe in splendor. To clothe in splendor, which is clarified a little later in verse 5, where Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. It's talking about something that Jesus had you know what I'm saying? That he put aside that now he's about to put back on. Can you see why it could be defined as clothing yourself or clothing oneself in splendor? Can you see how we can arrive at that? I wonder if you could just turn down the heat in a little bit, please. I bet it's on like 28 degrees or something. Sister Judith. You never, she says I never touched it. It's nice and warm in here though, isn't it? Too warm. How much was it, sis? 26, see? Glory. <clears throat> now, Jesus' petition for himself as he gets ready to leave earth, thinking about glory and being clothed, is the, re is the reverse of that which happened when he first came to earth. Right? Remember that at the first, he laid aside his glory, Philippians 2. Well, now that he's about to go back to heaven, his glory can now be fully restored. Can you see that? And this will also contribute as a result to bringing glory to the Father. Now, remember my subheading for this message. <clears throat> the ultimate Superman versus the original sinful man. The ultimate Superman versus the original sinful man. As you look at that statement, can you see two Adams there? Anybody? 
Yes or not? You, yes. Amen. Thank you. Two Adams. Jesus, the last Adam, and Adam, the first Adam. Right? Now, where did I get that from, I hear you ask? <clears throat> Regarding the son that is Jesus, look at verse 2. Jesus says, since you have given him, speaking about himself, authority over all flesh, right? Let's take the first, the first bit first, right? <clears throat> since you have given him authority over all flesh. Now, where have you heard that before? Who said Genesis? Hey. Amen. God said to Adam number one, listen. I don't know why it's so dull and the lights are off. Anyway, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, as a, as a triunity, right? Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have what? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. This is that whole thing about Adam being a vice regent, him ruling in place, not in place of God, him ruling under God. You know what I'm saying? Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Can you see that when God made Adam, he gave him authority over all flesh apart from humans? Can you see that? But notice the last Adam comes, Adam number two, Jesus that is, and he has all authority over all flesh, including humans. Can you see that? Now notice the next part of verse 2. We're going to continue with this to Adam thing in a moment. <clears throat> notice the next part of verse 2. In order to give eternal life, right, he's given all authority, to give eternal life to all whom you, Father, have given him. Now, can you see another comparison to the last Adam, Jesus, in contrast to the first Adam, Adam? The second part of verse 2 says that Jesus has the ability to do what? Give life. And not just natural life, thank you Bertram, eternal life. And you say, okay, I see that, but where's the comparison? Watch. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Right? He became a living creature. Now notice 1 Corinthians 15, which is fundamentally where we get in the argument from. Verse 45 says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Now can, now can you see the two Adams? But can you see a big difference between the two Adams? The first Adam was given life, which is amazing, you know what I'm saying, 
But then he died. The last Adam dies, but has the ability to continue living in the face of death and also can give life, not just natural, but eternal life to others. I'd say there's a big difference between these two Adams. And verse 3 agrees, saying that this eternal life is wrapped up in God and also the last Adam. Verse 3 of our text, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Although he knew God, he didn't glorify him as God. Adam, first Adam, he exalted the creature above the creator. Adam believed the lie of the serpent, didn't he? That he could be like God and try to practically take the place of God. Right? That's what we do when we usurp the authority of God and say, I'm going to do it my way. Right? Adam believed the lie and tried to make himself God, which is only reserved for Jesus. Adam had the opportunity to experience eternal life. Remember in the garden, the only tree that was forbidden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was also the tree of life that was in the midst of the garden. And I'm saying, he had the opportunity to experience eternal life, and he was with God anyway, but he ate from the wrong tree. And as a result, he was separated from God. And ever since that time, mankind has been waiting for another Adam who could do what the first Adam couldn't. You see how we get into the point where I'm trying to help us to see that Jesus is on a mission. Ever since that time, see, Jesus, the one that God the Father sent. Now make a note of that. You know what I mean? At the end of verse 3. Because we're going to come back to it. Jesus, the one that God the Father sent in order to provide eternal life. How many of you know, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is There is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Now, another one of the things that Adam failed to do, which was accomplished by Jesus. Look at verse 4 of our text. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Genesis 2.15 says that God gave Adam an assignment. He gave, he gave Adam a job. God gave Adam work to do, right? And as we said, Adam was kicked out of the garden that he'd been called to work in because he failed. Jesus, on the other hand, verse 4, perfectly accomplished the work he was given as the second or more, more true to the text as the last Adam. Therefore, wonderfully glorifying the Father. Both, both Adams right, were in a garden. Adam previously and Jesus in the next chapter. Right? One Adam, trying to be like God, sinned by eating the fruit hanging on a tree, substituted the creature for the creator. Another Adam who was God, ended up hanging on a tree, becoming the substitute 
for sinful man. One of them glorifies God and the other, hear it, falls short of the glory of God. Verse 5 of our text. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is beautiful. We are getting insight into the personal relationship of Jesus and God the Father. Can you see that Jesus, for the past 33 years of his life, has been on mission? As we contrast him to Adam, right? Jesus, and I suppose in similar fashion, we hear about the mission of the disciples in a moment. Jesus came from the Father to fulfill a purpose, which is on the brink of completion, as we hear in John chapter 17. Once his assignment, once his task, or once his work is concluded in the next 72 hours, Jesus is going back to HQ. And the thing is, Jesus can't wait, if I can, if I can be excused to use that term. Jesus is excited about going back to the Father, hence his prayer for himself. This is Jesus' prayer for himself. Secondly, um, Jesus prays for his disciples, verse 6 to 19. In the next 14 verses, we'll see Jesus interceding for his disciples. And this is nothing new. Jesus is always praying for his disciples. He prayed for them before. In, he prayed for them before he chose them. Remember? He was up all night praying. He prayed for them during his ministry. He prayed for them at the end of his ministry. You can see that he's doing that right here, right? He will continue to pray for them even after he leaves whilst he's in heaven. This persistent prayer reveals Jesus' love and his commitment to his disciples. Can you see that? Now verse 6, Jesus says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Five times, Jesus says, the disciples are those that were given to him by the Father. Twice in verse 6, once in verse 9, and in verse 11, and verse 12. Therefore, individuals who put their trust in God through Jesus Christ are gifts from the Father to the Son. Can you see the wonderful relationship that Jesus has with the Father? Listen as the thought continues in verse 7. Now, they know that everything you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me on mission, in parenthesis. So it's not just the disciples who are gifts from the Father. The words that Jesus spoke, it says in verse 8, are also gifts from the Father. Now remember this is a prayer. Listen to the exclusive nature of Jesus' petition, verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, 
for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Notice, Jesus completes his mission and the Father is glorified on that basis. We complete our mission and can you see what happens? Jesus is glorified. Boy, it's coming like a morgue in here today, boy. Judgment. (laughs) Anyway, I'll say that again. Jesus completes his mission and the Father is glorified. Right? We complete our mission and Jesus is glorified. That's why Jesus is praying for them. Jesus was kept as he as he depended on the Father. The disciples will be kept as they depend on Jesus. Jesus, how many of you know, is the author and the finisher of their faith. In Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one to four says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I want you to identify the, the element of mission. Maybe it's because, you know what? I work for LCM, for London City Mission. I'm, I, and literally every week, all we're talking about is mission. You know what I mean? So I'm involved in part of the training, you know and I'm saying, and the lectures that I'm doing at the moment virtually is talking about God on mission. Like, and I'm taking, I'm taking the students through a tour of the whole Bible looking at mission from God's point of view. And, and I suppose it's like everything I look at, all I can see is mission. I've got mission like lenses on. I can't see anything other than mission. And, um, and, and it's not just me seeing things that are not there. It's actually, it, actually is, <laughs> it actually is here. Now listen, especially as we read Hebrews 12 and then we're going to read Philippians 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is those who have gone before, right? Remember, this is the Hebrew hall of faith, right? Individuals have gone before and been faithful and there's this passing on of the baton, if you like, in terms of keeping the mission going, you know, like a relay race. So I run my leg and I stretch back and pass the, pass the bat on to the next generation and so on. Well, that's what's been alluded to in Hebrews chapter 12. And, and on that basis, he says, look, you need to run your race, isn't it? So lay aside every weight and the sin which, so, so, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy, no, I've highlighted joy because I want to come back to that. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So some of the reasons we know that Jesus was able to to endure the cross was one, because he knew the effect of the cross, us lot, in conjunction with everyone else who's been saved, right? But then also Jesus had great joy because he's going back to the Father, exemplifying his relationship with God that so excites him that doesn't necessarily always seem to excite us. And, he's, and, and he says, look, and, and Jesus is, if you like, is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's completed his mission. 
You know what I'm saying? And encouragement in these verses is for us to do likewise, to be faithful and run that race in similar fashion. Verse 3 says, notice what we must consider as we do this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. How many of you know that Jesus caught a lot of heat and drama because of his commitment to, to glorify the Father, right? And it says here that, it says, consider him, Jesus, who from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Which, if I'm not, if, if, unless I'm missing it, it seems to me that many are in that place right now. They're in a place where they're discouraged, they're faint-hearted, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're struggling to endure, they're growing weary. Or maybe I'm seeing and hearing things. But he says, if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you know someone in that place or you yourself are in that place, you know what I'm saying? He says, notice that, have you come to the point where you've actually struggled against sin in your life, right, to the point of shedding your blood? And I know the answer is no. You know what I mean? Although maybe in 10 years' time that will be true with the rise of Islam and the drought, the madness that's going on in terms of persecution around the world. But really, and, and, and so the encouragement here is to look to Jesus because whatever we go through hardly will ever compare to what he went through. You know what I'm saying? And this is an encouragement for us when we're in that faint-hearted position and posture. But the reminder is that we're on mission and it's likened to a race. Philippians 1, again, incredibly encouraging. Verse 3 to 6 says, I thank my God, says Paul. And again, listen to the missional um, air, you know what I'm saying, an aura of the text. He says, I thank my God, like Paul's a man who very often is, he stays up. He's got, his, like two, he's got his head up, right? Now he says, I thank my God. Now he's praying just like Jesus Right? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Sorry, I never said I read that very well. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Notice how does he do it? In grumpy fashion, oh man, I've got to pray. And I mean, these dead people that just dry and don't want to even, you know what I'm saying, make no commitments and can never see them and, you know what I mean, don't want to rally round or to just, he's not like that, is he? You know what I'm saying? It's with, he, he remembers, you know what I'm saying, other believers with joy. Notice verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice partnership, you know what I'm saying, in mission, on mission, in the gospel, like we're here for a reason. From the first day until now, and he says, I'm sure of this. And this is hopefully that word of encouragement to all of us who are feeling mash up, right? He says, that he who, he says I'm sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, what Jesus started in us is going to finish it. Despite how you're feeling, despite what it looks like, despite what... You know what I'm saying? This other person's going through and this person falling and oh my gosh, if they fall and then what's going to happen to me? Like, despite all that, that's why we're encouraged to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
You know what I mean? Because the work he starts, he's faithful to finish and complete. And that should be encouraging because it ain't got nothing about you or me in there. Like the, the work that he starts, he will finish it if you, Robert, do this, that, and the other. And if you, it don't say that. You know what I mean? And that's why I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. You know what I mean? Because when I'm feeling like I can't, I, can't, I can't go another 24 hours, I can't go another minute. You know what I mean? I'm encouraged that. And, 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 and our text ought to encourage us because Jesus, you know what I'm saying, is praying for us when no one else ain't. Now, in light of this, if you're not thinking, and our proper, um, yeah, if, if you're not thinking about personally being on mission, my question this morning slash afternoon is if you're not thinking about mission what, on, what the heck are you thinking about? And, 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 and I partly know the answer. I was talking to someone yesterday and it's like the cares of this life are hitting people so hard that they are so being either knocked off track or being completely distracted from the mission. It's like a, it's like, you know, like a boxer in a ring, yeah? And you're standing there, and you're, you're at, you've got work to do. Like we just said, Jesus is working, and he's fulfilled and accomplished his work. Adam's in the garden. He's not doing the work that he's supposed to. He doesn't accomplish it. He fails, right? It's a bit like a boxer in the ring. And you can see, here's the boxer. It's like... He's been training. He's been planning for this. Like we saw in Hebrews 4, you know what I'm saying? It's like a race and you prepare for that. So he's in the ring and he's fit and he's at the right weight and he's in there and he's feeling like, I'm going to win this fight. All he needs is for someone in the crowd to distract him just for a split second. And how many of you know, if he gets distracted by that distraction and turns his head for a moment, how many of you know, if the other dude knows what he's doing, it's over. I was talking to someone yesterday and it was like, it seems like four out of five people I speak to who are being just genuinely honest and open sound like they're not going to make it. Sound like, I don't even know if I believe in the Bible. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know if I'm saved. Now, again, maybe it's because I'm a pastor and I have the, the privileged position of speaking to um, like a multiplicity of people, but I, 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 am I barking up the wrong tree when I say, are you like Pastor Rob, man? I don't know who you're talking to, but boy, I've never heard anything like that in my life. Like for 20 years of being a Christian, woo, like where did that come from? Is that, is that, is that the feeling at the moment? Or is it true that many of us are struggling. You know what I mean? And, and I'm saying, I was so encouraged by this. And, it's, and, it's, and, 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 and I suppose for the past six months or so, because I've been talking about mission, you know what I mean? And it's part of our, of our strategy as a church, you know what I mean? It's like, I have to ask the question, like, like, have you been so distracted by the cares of this life 
And I'm saying that you've lost your vision for mission and you've been completely disliked that boxer and you're on the deck and you don't know what is up from down and who's left from right and who's mum in the crowd versus your trainer in the corner. And I'm saying maybe that's how you're feeling but the encouragement from God's word and the encouragement from Jesus in John chapter 17 is that he was on mission and he completely fulfilled it and now his encouragement, you know what I'm saying, to his disciples is that they understand that they also are on mission. And everything is, like, like Hebrews 11, it's not literally a crowd of people cheering us on, you know what I'm saying. That's the picture sometimes is painted. But the truer picture is many have gone before us, you know what I'm saying. And, I've, and, and they've not been perfect, none of them. Name them, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, name them, you know, like Samson, Solomon, name them. You know, they've, but they've, they've gone before, they've, 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 they've ran their race, and the encouragement now is, all right, now it's our turn, isn't it? The baton's in our hand. Jesus continues in verse 11, and he says, he says, Father, he says, I'm no longer in the world. But they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Please keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. Rich, Rich talked about, about unity in communion. And us helping and supporting and encouraging one another rather than doing what Paul said the Ephesians did, which was bite and devour one another. And we do that in public, but we can also do that in private. Um, Jesus is praying the opposite here. He's praying that we would be one. Verse 12 says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. See the number of times this comes up, the fact that the Father has given the disciples to Jesus. He says, I've guarded them. That should be encouraging to us. I've guarded them. And I mean, if you know, if Jesus is protecting you, then hey. I heard someone say, you know what? If, if God is for you, who can be against you? But if God's against you, you're finished. I mean, if you know, it's good to know that Jesus is on our side. <laughs> I'm saying. He says, I have guarded them. Jesus has got. Have you guys seen, every time I watch it, it makes me cry. Have you seen that little play where there's this girl and she's dancing with Jesus on stage? And, and I'm saying, she's, 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 yeah, she's in a relationship with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, kind of, the, 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 the devil sends his emissaries and they come and they, and they get a hold of her and they separate and pull her apart from Jesus and they get in between her and Jesus momentarily. And as they're in between, here comes one guy and he's like, he offers her drink and alcohol and she starts drinking alcohol and then her life begins to kind of go a bit skew if. And then someone offers her drugs and she starts taking drugs 
And in, and in, and in tutus, our life gets so messed up, some, like, and someone else comes along and says, hey, how about this? This might be a really good idea, and gives her a gun. And she puts the gun to her head and is just about to commit suicide. And I tell you, I think seven or eight, maybe ten years ago when I first saw that, I thought, man, could a Christian ever get to the point where they could feel like committing suicide? I don't ask that question anymore. One, because I know, I know someone that has done it. And two, as I said, given the current climate, I've, I've, I've spoken to a number of people that have felt like, you know what, it actually would be easier for me to just, I feel like I could just throw myself in front of a train. And you know what, if I'm completely, totally candid and honest with you, there's been them times where things have just been so much of a burden on my mind. Where was I? I was at um, Canada Water. Literally, I stood, you know, you know the, 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 the underground, sorry, the overground, but it looks like underground. Uh, the, not the DLR, no, the, the, the overground that looks like the underground, right, the orange line, right, so I'm, so I'm standing there, and, um, and man, when I tell you, sir, I had some pressure on my, on my head, like, I cannot even begin to talk about now, and trust me, the train lines look kind of inviting, momentarily. I confess that. And I, the reason I say that is because I think often um, preachers <coughs> excuse me, can sometimes give this impression that, that we don't get touched like with the things of the common people. And that is such a lie. It's, it's wickedness. It really is because it gives people this false impression that no one can ever live up to like we're, like we're Jesus. Only Jesus is perfect in that sense. And I'm saying, so, the, whoever it is, this emissary of the enemy gives this girl a gun. She's on drugs, she's, at, she's an alcoholic now. It's like, why not? It's just, it, at this point, it seems like a good option. And thankfully, at that moment, remember, they, they're all in between Jesus and her. And, she, and for all intents and purposes, she's finished. But then you see Jesus like begin to just move these obstacles out of the way and he begins to make himself, he, make, he, he, he makes his, his way toward her and he goes and he grabs and he, and he, and he rescues her and he holds her and he, and he, what does the text say? Jesus said, verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me, I have guarded them. For Peter, it looked a little bit like, it, like I just painted that picture for Peter well, it's going to look like that for him in a little while, right? Where he's about to deny Jesus, not once or twice, but three times, right? And Jesus says, look, I've prayed for you. Thank you, sis. I actually got some here, you know, I forgot that. Sound, sound like I need it. Yeah, man. Boy, this, boy, this flu, it's flu season, isn't it, man? Can't shake this thing. And, and it looks like for Peter, he's going to be finished if, if it were not for the fact that Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. That sounds to me like that's going to be serious. But he says, but, but he says, I have prayed for you, like he's doing here for the disciples in John 7. He says, I've prayed for you that your faith fails not. And I've got a feeling that if Jesus never prayed, that's exactly what would have happened. He says, I've prayed for you that your faith fails not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. 
And I'll tell you, sometimes, unless you've actually been through a dark time, you can't really help someone else in a dark time. Just like when, you know what I'm saying, like when, when, when my wife's dad had cancer, it's like, like there's no one that could come. I couldn't comfort her. Because I never, I never had no one close to me die in that fashion. You know what I'm saying? But then when somebody else had been through the same thing, was able to sit with her, they didn't even, they didn't even have to say anything. Because she knew that they'd been there, you know what I'm saying? And is it 1 Corinthians 4? Somebody help me. You know what I'm saying? We comfort others on the basis of the comfort that we've received, don't we? You know what I mean? And that's sometimes why we go through difficult times and why the Lord allows that. So that we can remember we're on mission. And sometimes a part of the mission is you go through drama so you can help somebody else. It's war out here. I remember Mark. Mark 5 preaching one... Um, one Friday night, years ago, back in St. Luke's, Mark stood up and Mark was talking about spiritual warfare. Mark said, you know what? He said, man, he said, I've been thinking about this subject of spiritual warfare this week. And he said, I couldn't believe it. I sat there and I realized, he said, he said, he said, he said you know that we're in a war? He said, the Lord showed me something. The Lord showed me, this is Mark. The Lord, Mark, I quote, Mark's like, the Lord showed me that, I'm on the, that I was on the battlefield in my boxer shorts. Like, like, illing on the battlefield. But we're in a war, aren't we? You know, and I don't say that to say, oh, you need to man up. I'm just saying, that's the reality of it. And I thank God that Jesus guards us. He protects us. He keeps us. Because if he didn't, the enemy would have executed every single last one of us long time apart from God's grace and his mercy and the fact that he's keeping us. Listen to Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 34. <clears throat> and obviously it makes reference to the one that, that wasn't kept because of the scripture that made reference to Judas who would fall away because he wasn't one that was given by the Father. Watch supernatural safety and security for those that the Father gives to the Son. Romans 8, verse 34. I'll just roll through them says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The fact, I mean, before we even got to the end of that, the fact that Jesus died, and there isn't a full stop there, but he, but he was also raised should be an encouragement to us and that now he as the risen savior the risen rescuer is praying for us interceding for us hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 through 16 says since then we have a high priest no i should have said it like this since then we have a priest no since then we have a high priest no since then that we have a great High priest who has passed through the heavens. I mean, he's Superman, right? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Man said, hold it fast. That gives me the impression that someone's trying to pull that thing out your hand. Hold it. You better hold it and hold it fast. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses when you feel like you could jump on a train line, when you feel like you could make a cocktail of paracetamol, not that I'm trying to give you any clues to, you know what I'm saying, 
You know what I'm saying? And you want to take drugs and kill yourself or sleeping tablets? Or How many of you know Jesus can sympathize with that? I mean, because Jesus has been there. Remember, he was at that place where he just said, that's it, I can't, that, no, can't do this. Remember? It's coming. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, that's why we look to him, why we don't look to each other. I think, I think sometimes, maybe even currently, people are feeling very, very, dis, very discouraged because of that very same reason. They're looking at others to save them. They're looking at others to rescue them. Well, while you're there and everything's good, then oh, that kind of gives me a bit of hope. We should be encouraged by others who are doing well, but we can't look to anyone other than Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Because everyone is bound to fail. Publicly or privately at some point. That mean? Jesus is the only one who is tempted as we are yet without sin. He's the only one we can look to. Let us then, verse 16, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we, There ain't no other place where we're going to get help in our time of need like Rich said, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible's so beautiful because it, it appreciates the fact that there are going to be these difficult times. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the throne of grace. I'm going to come back to the throne. Hebrews 7, verse 25 says, Consequently, he... That is Jesus. Man, I tell you, I love this verse. I, I remember this in King James. I remember I learned this verse when I was a young Christian. Thank the Lord. Consequently, I, how, anybody learn this King James? Jesus. I, I had a cassette tape, right, that I think Helen bought in Lewis, bought somewhere in a shopping center somewhere. These Christians were giving out tracts, and they had these cassette tapes with Bible verses written to some cheesy songs. But we, we played them till the tape snapped. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and one of them was this song that Jesus is able to save unto the uttermost that come unto God by him. That come unto God by him. Dude, dude, dude. Mad cheesy. But you know, I never forget it. You know what I mean? It says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Impression I get of that is, you know what, regardless of what I'm going through, regardless of what you're going through, because Jesus ain't going to die, <laughs> and Jesus gets his prayers answered, there's hope. Jesus praying for his disciples. How many of you know that this relates to us. Now we'll come to us more specifically as we wrap up. Supernatural safety and security. Be encouraged. It's not, these are not light words. Jesus is praying for you. Which means that the disciples can rejoice. Right? Look at verse 13 as Jesus continues his prayer. But now I am coming to you. And these things are speaking the world 
that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Not only is Jesus not discouraged, even though, you know what I'm saying, he's about to lose his life. He's saying the disciples don't need to be discouraged, even though potentially they are facing the same fate. See, there's that theme of joy again. Remember, I asked you to note it. In the midst of difficulty and hurtful rejection from the world. This is something that a few of us have been talking about recently. The issue of being in the world, yet not of it. Adrian touched on it two or three weeks ago. How do we, as Christians, relate to the world? Well, frankly, some Christians don't. They have nothing to do with the world, and they stand aloof and far off, having no contact and actually no relevance or effect on the world, apart from a negative effect. And, and, and these individuals are hated by the world, but for the wrong reasons. Other Christians, again, to put it frankly, are the, are the, are the, are the antithesis. Other Christians, as opposed to not having nothing to do with the world, yo, they're in bed with the world. And you can't see any distinction between them and the world. But isn't it true of all of us at some point in our lives we fluctuate between those two extremes? Do you sometimes find yourself in that place where you just, I don't want nothing to do with them because they're ungodly, they swear, they curse, don't want to be around them. Uh, and I may never feel like that sometimes. And two twos, they know it as well, you know. Because when you come, when you when you walk into the room, you're screw face. You look down on them. You know, what I'm like, I, 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 maybe you ain't, but I know I've been there. You know what I mean? I've done that in my own home. You know what I mean? To my own kids, at certain times. And then sometimes we swing to the other. We swing to the other end of the spectrum, don't we? You know what I'm saying? Where we do, we, we it's like, hey. We just drop our guard and we just can't be bothered with the Christian thing. I even want to talk about it. I heard one of the guys at LCM was telling us a story about he went somewhere once and, you know, he, what was he doing again, bruv? Can you remember? Was he in that lecture? Where Phil was talking about he went somewhere. The man went to, some, he went to a piano, a Spanish piano teaching class. And he just said, I just, he was like, I just, I just want to play the piano. I don't want to talk about Jesus, I don't want to talk about the Bible, I just want to, let me just please, let's just play the piano, that's all I come here for, and somebody there said to him, like, what do you do? And he, and he was like he was like, I work for a charity oh really, what type of charity do you work for? and he's like, in his mind don't ask me, because I'm not going to tell you, because I'm not about to try and preach to you about Jesus I'm here to play the piano just leave me alone and then obviously he got to the point where he did eventually realize, oh yeah, I'm on mission. Like a, like a poli- we're like policemen as Christians, you know that? You're never not on duty, you know what I mean? Whether you're in plain clothes or in uniform, you're just always on duty. And, why did I say? and so I'm saying, we fluctuate between those, where sometimes we're Pharisees, aren't we? And then the other time we're just liberal like the rest of them, we're, we're jumping into the crowd, right? Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, isn't that true? Isn't that true? And again, I'll speak for myself. You know, I mean, I know I fluctuate between the two. You see, and the thing is this: the thing is this. We need to love the world, even though the world doesn't love us. 
You know what I mean? We need to love them enough to be able to get close enough to them in order that we might be able to share with them in some way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? So we must love the world. But we mustn't love the world because if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. And it's a hard balance to strike, and we need God's grace, don't we, in order to do that faithfully. Verse 14. Jesus says, I've given him your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, often we think the best thing that, that could happen is that we get taken out of the world. Do you ever feel like that? Lord, I'll just, just take me, I'll just tired. I just don't want to be here anymore. You know what I mean? Not for the, the, not for the, the not, not like suicidal in that sense, but just, Lord, I want to come home and I'm tired. You know what I mean? But, like Paul says, for me to live, no, he said, to die is gain, right? It is, come on, let's be honest. It's better to get out of here, right? <laughs> but for me to live, can you see that we are supposed to be on mission? For me to live is Christ. When we think, when we think like that, like we want to get out of it, we're not being mission-minded. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, says Jesus, right? But that you keep them from the evil one. Here's that security again. We don't need the rapture be. We need security. That's what we need. I couldn't, I couldn't. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Remember, this is a prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Can you see that the the first thing Jesus prays for the disciples is security? But secondly, Jesus now prays for their sanctity or their sanctification, their consecration, their set-apartedness, their holiness, right? And it's amazing because if it weren't Jesus praying this, again, we'd get this picture of being Pharisees or let's build a monastery, like let's all become nuns and monks, but when you see Jesus, Jesus is there sitting at the woman, sitting at the well, speaking to this woman who's had multiple relationships that we could tend to turn our nose up at. You know what I'm saying? Or Jesus is... <clears throat> so so he, God wants us to be separate and sanctified and, and like him, you know what I mean? And in one sense, that sense, that means a real distinction. You know what I'm saying? But, but then in another sense... It means, have you, you know, sometimes we can be scared as Christians that we'd be affected by the world. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's a genuine, like, I, I can't go there because if I go there, it's going to contaminate me. You know what I'm saying? But did you know, you know, did you know, you know, you know Jesus says of, of the church, we're supposed to be two things in Matthew 5, right? It's stuff that you put on your food and it's the stuff that comes in your window sometimes when you live in London, right? Like one, two, maybe two months of the year, right? We're supposed to be salt and light. Now, apart from the light, right? Salt. Salt is supposed to affect stuff, right? And I just, there's a number of ways, but I'll just use the, meat, the, the, the food one. Salt, you put it on your, on your steak to make it taste salty. Have you ever heard of Steak making salt taste meaty. So I'm saying, 
May God, by his grace, help us to, to know that we're salt and that we are the affecting agency, you know what I mean? And not be so fearful, you know what I mean, to affect the world. I mean, Pastor E mentioned it, the whole Lecrae thing. For those of you who are into Christian um, music, particularly hip-hop and rap, you know, it's a very, very interesting time on both hands. You know what I'm saying? We talk about Lecrae on one hand, and then you talk about Jahazel on another. You know what I'm saying? It's a very significant time, like we think. Um, and, and, I, and I think Lecrae's been a great inspiration as to, you know what? You can actually... There's a call. There's a biblical call for us to be involved in the world. Remember, we're not of it, but we're supposed to be in it. You know what I mean? May God give us the grace to roll up our sleeves and not be fearful and terrified and intimidated, but trust in his grace and be connected to the body so we're not lone rangers. Do you know what I'm saying? And, 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 you know what I'm saying? and, and, and go and possess the land like Joshua and Caleb. Like, this is food, this, like, we're supposed to eat this for breakfast. This, is, this actually got, contributes to strengthening us. Oh, yeah, but Pastor Rob, there's giants in the land. I know. Oh, Pastor Rob, there's walled cities. I know. And I mean, boy, Pastor Rob, man, ISIS, I know. You know what I mean? But we're going to believe the majority report or we're going to believe the minority report? The majority one's easy to believe, but the minority report is the one that we're supposed to believe. You know what I mean? And be encouraged by that in the time when it seems like everyone's down with the majority report. Come on now. Jesus says, security, I'm going to provide, and Father, provide them with sanctity. You set them apart by your truth. And why would that be important? Because they are on mission, just like Jesus. Look at verse 18. As you have sent me into the world, notice, so I have sent them into the world. See what, I mean, you see why I had to, like, this is about mission. Being on mission, this is the second time this is mentioned. Remember verse 8? Look at verse 19. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now this is a reference to Jesus' high priestly role. Remember, Jesus is he's, he's a prophet, the ultimate version. Jesus is also the king, right? He's the anointed one, which is the definition of the king in the Old Testament. And it's translated Christ. Jesus Christ, it's not, Christ ain't his surname, it's his, it's his title, you know what I mean? He's the king, that's what he is, you know what I'm saying? But, 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 but Jesus is also the epitome of the office held by the priest and the high priest at that. And he's not after the order of Aaron, that would be one thing. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, the one who had no mother, no father, no beginning, no end of days. He is king of Salem, which is king of righteousness. He's king of peace. He's not, a, he's, not a, he's not a king who has righteousness or a king who has peace. He's king of righteousness. He's king of peace. Do you know what I'm saying? After the order of Melchizedek, it's gone. He's the ultimate prophet. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is the ultimate king. He's the ultimate priest. Jesus is interceding as our high priest even now. Okay, third element. Time gone in it, long time. Oh my gosh. All right. The third, the third aspect isn't so quick. Isn't so, isn't so long. Um, 
Jesus now, he's prayed for himself, he prays for the disciples, and now Jesus is praying for the church. Verse 20 to 26. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, says Jesus, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This means that everything that Jesus just prayed for the first disciples, he's also praying for the future disciples, which is us. Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now this speaks about unity amongst believers. It's funny, Rich, again, I wish I could talk a little bit more about what he mentioned. Um, but we can do that at community group. This speaks about unity amongst believers, but isn't condoning ecumenism and unity at the expense of truth. How many of you know uniformity isn't the same as union isn't the same as unity. Again, we can come back to this on Thursday. The next part brings together now everything that Jesus had prayed in the previous verses in summary form. Jesus is going to talk about glory. He's going to talk about mission. He's going to talk about security, sanctity. He's going to talk about relationship with the Father as we finish. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Wow. Now this is something we will only understand when we get home. I'm not even going to try and touch it. Verse 23. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me. Sorry, and loved them even as you loved me. There's something about us being on mission that helps the world to know that God the Father sent him. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, you see him saying it again, I just ain't got time, may be with me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Think the end of the battle. Think the mission is complete now. We're on the other side of this madness down here, right? Think the mission has been successful. We're all together and we're all celebrating, you know what I'm saying, the fact that it's over. Think, you know the Lord of the Rings? Even I ain't watched it. I know that there's a part at the end where they come, they're like, we done it, right? And they're all standing together on some hill. We done it, right? Star Wars, This picture is in my mind, and by God's grace, I found it. Look at this picture. If you know anything about Star Wars, which I don't, apparently this is the fourth film, the fourth Star Wars, right? And it's the victory. It's done. They beat up, they beat whoever it was on the Battlestar, whatever it is, and Darth Vader, the rest of them, man. I suppose they're going to come back somehow, some way, but for the moment, the battle's won. The dark, the dark side, thank you, I've been defeated. And, and did you know, I think, is this film called A New Hope? And you know what this scene is called? It's called The Throne Room. Now I'd be like, like what does that mean? I never even got one, woo! <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm what? What does that mean? Well, this is what we go to the cinema for, isn't it? 
We go to the cinema to experience a taste of good, ultimately triumphing over evil. And we sit at the end of the film and there's a, there's a euphoria that we experience, albeit temporary and transient. And, we, and we're like, yes, good. Whoever says yes when evil triumphs? Even when you're wicked and bad, and you're, you're bad breed and bad mind. Even then, you, you, you don't come out saying yes. You don't. You know what I mean? And there's this... Verse 23 and 24 is everything and more than that which we can imagine. When Jesus says, I want them, Father, with me so they can experience what I experience with you. And that for eternity. I want them here. He wants us with him there in the throne room. Verse 25. O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that you have, and these know that you have sent me. I I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love through the spirit in times to come, you see that throughout the book of Acts, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So we're done. What would you be thinking about if you only had a few hours to live? We just got some insight to the heart of Jesus. Look at his bucket list. God's glory, God's mission, relationship with the Father, if those are not the things we're thinking about, what are we thinking about? What are we setting our affections on? But if you are considering these things today, you can rest assured that you are safe, that you're saved, <laughs> that you have eternal security. Although experiencing difficulty, that is, actually, that is actually the work of sanctity. It's the work of sanctification of It's God's sanctifying work in your life when he allows those difficulties to come for which you can actually rejoice with great joy as we look forward to that great day. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we started off this message with a prayer and we're ending it with a prayer. So... This is like a prayer sandwich. Father, I often take prayer for granted. Um, It often is my last resort. I'm often tempted to go for other options. And that's when I'm being cognizant. Otherwise, Lord, I'm just completely distracted from prayer. I'm completely not even, it's not even on my radar. I'm I'm just so consumed with life and with other things. And um, just thank you, Lord. Thank you for times like today where we make a commitment to come together, come hell or high water. And Lord, you know, some are not with us today for many different reasons. Lord, I think the whole flu thing has knocked a lot of people out, um, my wife included. and, And yet, Lord, someone is always here. Even if, it's, even if it's just two people. And I thank you for that because, Lord, we're two or three gathered together in your, na- in, in your name and you promise to be there by your spirit in the midst. And 
And there are more than one or two of us here today, Lord. And and for for those of us that are, thank you. Thank you that, Lord, although things are hard and times are difficult, the Bible is so true. Father, we are living in perilous times. And we're all feeling it, Father. Yet we thank you. Thank you that the Lord Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a community. And thank you, Father, that Jesus is committed to the mission. He proved that because of his commitment whilst he was here. And yet we continue to experience his commitment to the mission even whilst he's not here, whilst he's he's there with you, Father, on the front. Would you help us and remind us that, that that is the reason why we're here? Partly, Lord, that is the reason why we're here, to be on mission. And Father, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Adam flopped, and every single one of us that come after Adam, by virtue of being biologically linked to Adam, we've all flopped too. But yet, thank you, Father, that Jesus was tempted in all points, yet without sin. He didn't flop. And we can look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. And he can save to the uttermost those who put their faith in you, Father. Encourage our hearts by that, by that truth, I pray today. For Jesus' sake, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.